Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. If you're interested in more information about our church, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church. Well, this morning, I wanted to spend some time and uh, talk about uh, the Lord's Supper. Um, We have not been able to uh, partake together uh, for the past couple months, and uh, that's one of those things that um, is difficult because I think... um, you know, as believers, we're commanded that uh, when we come together, we're supposed to be partaking together. And uh, I just wanted to spend just a few moments here out of First uh, Corinthians chapter 11 and kind of revisit these truths about communion, the Lord's table, um, and the significance that it should have in our lives as believers and uh, coming and remembering, coming together and remembering uh, what the Lord has done for us. And, uh, you know, it's important to be taking communion together, not only because it, it is commanded in scripture, but also our Lord himself was the one who instituted it. Uh, at the Last Supper, he was there and he, he desired for them to eat the meal together. He says, I've, I've been desiring to eat this meal with you. And he instituted uh, what we know as communion or the Lord's table. And so we must uh, never move ourselves away from the hope that is found in the gospel. And, you know, clearly you know, between the, the bread and the cup, this is a picture of the gospel. It's, it should be a picture of the gospel. And uh, so we need to remember that. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. The Lord's Supper is important in the life of the believer. The Lord's Supper is important in the life of the believer. So I want to take some some time here, remind us about the importance of the Lord's Supper as we come together and as we remember. Now, here's the background here found in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number 11. There were various problems, various divisions that were going on in the church. Um, you had divisions over all kinds of different things. Uh, there, were, uh, there were people that were doing certain things and people that weren't doing certain things. And there was just a lot of division that was happening. Um, some were competing against each other for superiority. Paul talks, tells them that they are these super apostles. You know, they thought, boy, look at me. I'm, look what I do. I'm a super apostle. Um, There were people that were trying to one-up others spiritually, you know, look, well, look at me, look what I can do. Oh, no, look what I can do. I do this. And, you know, there was just a lot of of difficulties and problems in this uh, church in Corinth. Uh, Some were even involved in sexual immorality. Um, There were things going on. A, A man had his Husbands had his uh, the the father's wife, so there was incest uh, uh, incest that was going on in the church. There was wife swapping that was going on. There was homosexuality that was going on in this church. 
really no different than it is today. Because you think about it, as we gather together here, do we really know each other? Do we really know each other? The things that, we, that go on in our hearts and our lives, I mean, no doubt about it, uh, there's people in here that uh, struggle with some type of vice. There's others that might struggle even with sexual immorality. There's others that are struggling with pride or uh, trying to uh, really lift themselves up. So all of us, we, we come together and it should be for the reason to remember the Lord and what he has done for us. And uh, so here in this early church here, this type of stuff was going on. And, uh, you know, the early church did not meet in a building. They didn't have a building per se like this. What they would do is they would meet in the homes of individuals, more than likely somebody who would have been wealthy. And uh, that person would open up their home and they would come together in that person's home. So there was a lot of home fellowships, small home fellowships, groups or gatherings that would meet together. And they would have a meal together. Uh, these meals were known as what they were called as love feasts. You can read about it in uh, uh, Jude 12. He says that there were, uh, there were hidden reefs among your love feasts. In other words, there are dangerous teachers, false teachers, people coming in trying to pervert the, the truth of the gospel. And these people are even in your fellowship. And so these love feasts was basically a meal. They would come together and they would have a meal together. And it's just no different like how we have our, uh, our table fellowship. You know, we ask people to bring uh, something that you can share with somebody. So here we are, we're coming in the church doors and we got our potluck of, uh, you know, whatever, chicken and whatever, you know, and we put it on the table and we're going to share it with everybody. But what was happening here in the church in Corinth was they were meeting together for these love feasts and people were showing up with all their food and they would get there early and then they were indulging themselves and eating all the food and not waiting for those that might have been poor, those that uh, couldn't get there as quickly. And so here comes the poor, here comes the people that uh, couldn't necessarily get there earlier. And they'd come in there and there'd be like scrapings left on the pan, you know? Um, and, you know, they're probably going, you know, trying to get everything out of the pan to eat. And uh, Paul really rebukes this church and tells them what you're doing, how you're acting, coming together for a meal and celebrating the Lord's uh, table is not the way that Christ would want you uh, to do that. And so they really missed the significance and the purpose of the Lord's table. So that's the background here for our text. And, and Paul is writing to them to correct them and the problems and to show the importance of the Lord's table. The, the original uh, Lord's table was a Passover meal. Uh, how many of you were here when we had uh, um, the Seder meal? We were actually going to do it this year, but uh, of course that got kind of canceled. But uh, it was a meal. It, was, it had significance in it. Now, the way we do it today, we have just little 
glasses of grape juice and a little piece of, of bread, but it was an actual meal that they, uh, that they did. And it was, it was there to remind them, just as the, the Passover was a reminder of how Israel was in bondage and in slavery, God passed over them. He sent uh, the, uh, the death angel there, and if the blood was applied to their, to their door, the death angel passed over them, and they came out of bondage. They came out of slavery, just as much as when we remember the Lord's table, we remember his death, his sacrifice, his blood was given for us so that uh, we too could be brought out of spiritual slavery and uh, we could be made new in Christ. And that was made through the death of the Lamb of God. So let me just give you a few things here about uh, the Lord's Supper. Number one, when you come, do it in remembrance of Christ. Listen to what Paul says here. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's interesting, especially if you read through 1 Corinthians um, chapter 11 here, and how many times Paul uses the phrase, when you come together, when you come together, when you come together, when you come together. He uses it four times and the connection that is made there between coming together and celebrating the Lord's death, remembering the Lord's death. And so it's obvious that when the church gathered together, they remembered the Lord's death. And that was through the act of communion. Now I know there's various different Things. Some people believe that you should uh, do it every single Sunday. Some people believe that you should only do it once a month. Some people believe once a quarter. Uh, my father only believes that you should do it only once a year. Who's right? Well, the reality is that you must remember the Lord's death. Whether you're taking it one time, once a month, once a quarter, once a year, you need to be remembering the Lord's death. However, many times that you do it. So Paul cites Jesus' words here. Look in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. 25. It says here, in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he adds here in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. These are the words of Jesus, and Paul is citing them here. So when we come together, we should be doing it in remembrance of Christ. We have this table here, and you can see what's inscribed on there, right? Do this in remembrance of me, right? It's supposed to be a reminder that we're doing this in the remembrance of Christ. So here's some things that we should remember. We remember his body that was broken for us. The Lord's Supper was a supper with great symbolic meaning to it. The two most prominent symbols are the one loaf of bread 
which is broken into pieces and it was to be shared by all. Now, here we have uh, a piece, this bread that has already been broken, but I believe in the early church, what they did is they actually had a loaf of bread and they would pass it from person to person, actually breaking it as each person passed it and they took a part of it. In fact, when Jesus was with his disciples, he had the bread and he broke it in front of them and he gave it to his disciples. He says, this is my body, which has been broken for you. And there's great symbolism there uh, with that. And then we talk about the wine here. And, uh, you know, we have our own individual cups of wine, but again, it was probably more common that they either had uh, a cup that they shared together, right? Um, and some of us would be like, oh, that's kind of ye. But you think about this. This is what the church did. They shared together. They came together and they shared. There was a common unity amongst themselves. More likely, they, they could have had a whole jar of wine. And as they poured, they shared. So here, Paul is talking about this. And Jesus taught his disciples and Paul that the bread represents his body and the wine his blood. The one loaf of bread represents the physical body of our Lord, which was given for us so that we might be saved. Think about this. The eternal son of God took on human flesh. He took on human flesh and his body was broken for us so that we might be saved. He is the first and only God-man, and as the result of his miraculous incarnation, he took on a sinless body so that he could endure our temptations without failure, and so that he could die in our place by taking our sins upon himself. That's what scripture teaches us, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And he could do this because he was sinless and he did not need to die for his sins. He died bearing the guilt of our sins. You'll notice here, especially if you read through 1 Corinthians, that Paul places a, a, a huge emphasis on the bread, specifically the bread. Uh, for example, in uh, chapter 5 in uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks of this bread in its developmental stage has, has it's just really one lump of dough which will be corrupted by the sinner who is not disciplined. In chapter 10, Paul speaks of the bread as one bread. Just as there is one body of the church, there's one bread that has been broken for us so that all who partake of it are of one body. The wine represents the new covenant in our Lord's blood. And uh, Paul really doesn't talk much about the wine here in 1 Corinthians. He seems to emphasize more about the bread. But nevertheless, it's still important. The one loaf of bread which was broken by our Lord and divided among his disciples and which we share in communion, it represents the physical body of Christ. 
And so it's important to remember Christ, to remember his body that was broken for us, his sinless life, his sinless body was broken for our sin. Every corrupt and evil thing that we do, his body was broken for us. First Peter chapter two, verse 24 says, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds, you were healed. So by partaking in the bread and communion, we symbolize then that we have by faith partaken of the work of Christ on our behalf of Calvary. So if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, if you have believed in Christ as your savior, then by partaking in communion, you're saying, I agree with Jesus that his body was broken for me, that his body was, was crushed for me for my sin. And I trust in that for my sin. Not that we're trusting in communion, but we're trusting in Jesus. So this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples. But really, the night that Jesus was teaching about this, they really didn't grasp that. They didn't understand that. In fact, it wasn't even until after his resurrection that they finally made sense to them. But we need to remember that. So when we partake of this, we're doing it as a gathered church to bring about unity amongst ourselves because we are of one body. Listen to what Ephesians chapter two, verses 11 through 22 has to say about this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For, the, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." And so it's important for us as we remember, when we come together, we need to remember what Christ's death really did for us. It has brought us into the body of Christ. It has brought about unity. It has brought about peace, broken down the walls of hostility. And we remember this when we partake 
together. Here's another thing that we should be remembering. We should remember his death till he comes. Look at verse 26. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word here, proclaim, is used elsewhere in proclaiming, uh, used in the way of proclaiming the gospel. So think about this. Think about the, 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 the application here. As we are eating and partaking together, what are we doing? We're proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. And so the Lord's Supper is a proclamation of Jesus' death and resurrection because he couldn't come again if he were not raised from the dead. So because Christ is resurrected, what he said is true that he's coming again. So as we eat and as we drink, we are proclaiming that Jesus is faithful and that he is coming again. You say, when he's coming, I don't know. He doesn't even know. Only the Father knows. But as we eat and we drink, we proclaim that he is coming again. <clears throat> you know, each time we partake of the Lord's Supper, it could be the last. Things could change. So the Lord's Supper reminds us to be ready for that day, to remind ourselves that Christ is coming back again. Here's the second thing. When you come, remember to love one another. Now remember what was going on in this church. Even more so, those divisions, okay, the divisions that were going on in this church and how they were treating one another, the things that were going on in this church were extending into the one area in which they should be displaying sacrificial love, and that was in communion. 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 17, <clears throat> Paul says this, <clears throat> because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So apparently, as they were passing around all of this stuff and as they're taking uh, the one here and somebody's getting a piece here, somebody's getting a piece here, because they were not doing it the right way, what was happening, here comes the poor people and they would get there and there was nothing left. Paul says, you're not even really showing sacrificial love towards one another. You're not waiting for them. You're not helping them. And so Paul writes here in verses 18 and 19, look what he says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. And look at what Paul says here in verses 20 and 21. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. 
And so Paul confronts the selfishness and the gluttony of those who were stuffing themselves and even getting drunk at the common meal here. And they were doing it before coming to the Lord's Supper. They were not considerate of the slaves and other poor who were part of the church. Because when he says here in verse 20, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. He means that their selfish approach nullified the very meaning of the remembrance of the self-sacrifice of the Savior. Their selfish gluttony and drunkenness despised the church of God and shamed the poor, is what he says in verse 22. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So Paul was shocked by their selfish behavior. The point is that when we come to the Lord's Supper, we are to come with genuine love towards one another. You see, the Lord's Supper is one spiritual activity that you do not practice alone. You practice it with the church. So whenever you have believers gathering together, you can practice the Lord's Supper, but you don't do it alone because you come together. When you come together, you practice it. You see, the Lord's Supper is to be celebrated with the Lord's people. You can read your Bible on your own. You can pray on your own but the Lord's Supper is to be celebrated together. And he says, you're supposed to remember that. And these people weren't practicing that. They weren't waiting for anybody. They were just doing it as the way they wanted to please. And he says, you're selfish for acting that way. So to come to it rightly, you have to deal with damaged relationships as best as you can, because he says, there's factions among you. There's problems going on. And so even as we come together, if we have divisions amongst ourselves, which we will, and that's normal, that's fine. What are we supposed to do? When we come together, we remember that we're coming together in unity. We're coming together in love. You see, our common participation in the symbols of the body and the blood of our Lord should demonstrate the self-sacrificing love of the one who gave himself up to die on our behalf. Notice what Paul tells them to do and show self-sacrificing love towards one another. Verse 33, so then my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment <clears throat> about the other things. I will give directions when I come. Now you might say, now, come on, Mike, we're not indulging ourselves in food. I mean, I didn't see anybody as they were coming in here going, oh man, I really like that communion, but I'm going to take a couple extra pieces for myself. I'm going to have a luncheon on it, right? Was anybody doing that? And my daughter may have went over there and tried to take some of the juice, right? But nobody was over here trying to, to take extra bread or extra juice, right? You say, well, how does all this apply to us then? Well, there are other ways that we indulge ourselves other than food. We indulge in self-indulgence without a care or thought about our brother or sister in Christ. We do this by evaluating our worship in terms of what it does for us. Think about this. When we come together, when you come together as a church, when we meet here, are you looking to get something out of this? <clears throat> 
Are you coming expecting something? Like, oh boy, <clears throat> I really hope we hear something about this today. Or boy, I really hope we get to sing my favorite songs today. Or boy, I really hope so-and-so says, says hi to me today. What are you doing? You're doing it out of self-indulgence. We're not doing it out of love towards one another. Sometimes we ask the question, how did church go? How was church today? The basis on which we answer that question tells us a great deal. Unfortunately, we tend to measure the meeting by what it did for us. <clears throat> did we feel elevated in our spirit? Did we come away feeling good? Did others say or do what we hoped for? Did we have the opportunity to do or to say what we wanted? <clears throat> and I think many times <clears throat> when we gather together, we forget that we are supposed to come together in unity and in love towards one another. Not, it's not for ourselves. It's not what we can get out of it, but we are supposed to be showing self-sacrifice towards others. So think about this. When you come together every week, any week, what am I doing? What are you doing to show sacrifice and love towards your fellow brother or sister in Christ? See, that's what was missing in the church here. They weren't showing self-sacrifice sacrifice. They were not willing to give up things for others. Thanks a lot. So we should be self-sacrificing to others. And we should show people and edify one another through love. Here's the last thing. When you come, examine yourself when you come examine yourself. Now there's much here about examining yourself. Paul says that many of the Corinthians were suffering sickness and even death <clears throat> because they were coming in the Lord's Supper uh, and they were doing it flippantly. They were doing it without any care. They were just doing it just because it was emotion that they were kind of going through. There was no real examining of themselves before the Lord. Um, Notice how Paul walks us out uh, for them. Verse 32, look what he says here. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So he clarifies that this judgment does not mean eternal condemnation, but rather divine discipline. So those believers who died, those believers who got sick, that was discipline from the Lord. It's not eternal condemnation, but they were being disciplined. Uh, if you have any uh, thinking, thinking about this, uh, you know, whether or not God would do this, just ask Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, that's right, you can't. They died in church, right? So God's word is very clear here that he disciplines believers and because of the way that they were coming to the Lord's table, they were not practicing self-examination. And he says, they're being disciplined. Some are sick and some have even died. And so to avoid such discipline, he gives the prerequisite 
of coming to the Lord's table. And what is that? Look at verse 28. Let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So what is he saying here? Look at verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. What body? Well, look at verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord is in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So he means that we should not partake of communion flippantly or irreverently, but worshipfully and thankfully. We should be examining ourselves in that. And so by examining ourselves, Paul means that we should do a private mental inventory of our relationship with Christ. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, put yourselves to the test to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize regarding yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? Am I truly trusting in him alone for salvation? Am I sinfully at odds with anyone else? Is there any sin that I have not confessed and turned from? The Lord's Supper is not for the sinless, but for those who are dealing with their sin on the heart level. I want you to think about this just for a moment. When Christ instituted the Last Supper, when he instituted communion, Think about what was going on at that, at that scene. You had the disciples arguing about who was gonna be the greatest, right? There's rivalry going on. You have Peter that the Lord says, you're gonna deny me three times, Peter. Then they go out to the garden to pray and Jesus says, what? You couldn't even watch with me for an hour? You fell asleep? Boy, such disappointments. But even in the midst of all those disappointments, what did they do? They still partook of the Lord's Supper. And see, this is such a great reminder of the gospel because as we partake together, we remember that we're not sinless. We come to the Lord's table recognizing that we have faults and we have, have sin that we're trying to deal with. And the Lord's Supper reminds us that we come together and it is Christ's blood who cleanses us. It is body that was broken for our sin. And it is only through the Lord that we're even able to be part of his family. And so it's such a great reminder now to really examine our heart, do a thorough check and say, look, am I coming to the Lord's table flippantly? Am I coming to it irreverently? Am I just coming to it out of motion? Or am I coming to it to remember what the Lord has done for me? The Lord's Supper gives us a frequent reminder that we need to deal with our sins on the heart level before God. So we too should heed the warning of Paul here and examine ourselves. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifewiththeridge.church.